Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, please, that you would help us to hear your voice as we think about what has been read, what has been written for us. We ask that you would give us concentration and help us, please, to see the great hope that is ours, a certain future, all that flows from what Jesus has done for his people. Help us to rejoice in these things together now. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me start with a question. What does God think of us? And does it matter? What do you think God thinks about you? And does it matter? We all, I think, have significant others whose opinions matter to us, be it uh, the relationships that we're in, in different circles, be it to do with our family and perhaps our parents, our father or our mother, the opinions of others we are regularly with, perhaps at work or in other places. I think it's fairly unusual for us not to be bothered by what people think of us. I think most of us do mind, to some degree, greater or lesser, how we're viewed, how we're seen by, by others. In some instances, that burden of expectation or judgment can be crushing. It can be worrying and bothering. But what about God, the most significant other in the universe? What does he think of me when he looks at me this morning? Is he smiling or does his face wear a frown? Previously, at the start of our series in Romans, and particularly in Romans 3, we learned in that chapter that God is very, very, very angry with me, and that he's right to be angry with me because of my rebellion and my sinfulness. And we also learned that there's nothing that I can do about that. So what has changed by the time we get to chapter 5? Because this is far more upbeat, is understating it. These incredible verses telling us how God views his people. Our first heading this morning is to say that we, if we're trusting in Jesus, have a restored relationship with God. It's there. In verse 1, it's mentioned or described as we have peace with God, but it's also there at the very end in verse 11 where it's described as reconciliation, a restored relationship with God. This is Paul's big point, and this is where we start saying that the Christian is someone who has a restored relationship with God. Let's read verses 1 and 2. I'll read them, follow along. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. These verses here describe the new status of a Christian, someone who's been justified, verse 1, through faith. Now, justified, we've learned, means being put right with God. It's God's legal declaration about how he views the person who is joined to Jesus. When I was growing up, we used to learn that justification means just as if I'd never sinned. But that only gets half of it. It gets that Jesus has dealt with my sin and paid the debt that I owe to God. But actually, more accurately, we could say it's just as if I'd been Jesus or just as if I am Jesus. Because as well as Jesus taking our debt, he gives us his righteous life. So, it's like walking out to play a game of cricket, but you're not starting on zero. You've got a hundred runs already. Credit in the bank. Before we were joined to Jesus, we were spiritually broken, bankrupt. But through faith in Jesus, we receive all his credit, that credit rating with God because of him. That's what this word justification means. It's true of anyone who is joined to Jesus by faith, not by our works, but trusting in what he's done. And we thought about how faith can be thought of as the empty hand that receives what God is offering. That is foundational to all that's going on in these verses, understanding what it means to be justified. And if that sounds quite legal, and it does have a legal uh, flavor to it, something that would happen in a courtroom, what is described in verses five, uh, 1 to 11 is far more relational. It speaks of restored relationship. That is what has been achieved for us by Christ if we are trusting him this morning, and it's what we all need most. That is part of the message of chapters 1 to 4. Justification secures relationship with God. It happened in the past, but here we're going to see how it affects the present and our future. And in these opening verses, we see three things very, very quickly. First, we're told, verse 1, we have peace with God. Now, it's good to understand and think about this for a moment because peace with God, it means different things to different people. It can be uh, thought of very much sometimes about feelings and experience. But actually, what's been described here is something that is factual. It is that the Christian has a new status, a restored relationship, no longer an enemy of God. And so it's a changed state, not a variable feeling. 
A friend of mine who I used to spend time with, a Christian friend who I believe was truly trusting in Jesus, was just plagued and dogged with lack of assurance. And all he would say to me often when we met up was, I just want to have the best relationship I can have with God. That was his earnest desire. And we kept coming back to this passage and others like it that tell us that what we have because of Christ is the best relationship possible. It is fixed, given to us. It doesn't matter whether I feel close to God or far away, which can often be a real feeling. But if I'm in Christ, what these verses are telling us is that I've been given peace with God. Not by anything I've done, but entirely by what Christ has done. So that's the first little thing to note here, which is massive. We have peace with God. The second thing is to understand that we have now, continuing in, in verse 2, we have now gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, previously we learned how we were under the law and therefore under condemnation because of our sin and rebellion. But now we're told, because we're justified, we are standing in a different place. We're standing in God's grace. And Christ is the door into this new status. And it is ours all the time, 24-7. This is amazing. We don't need an intermediary of some sort to come into God's presence. We are there permanently if we are joined to Jesus. We don't need meditation or music to take us into God's presence. We don't need an earthly priest or a worship leader. No holy building, no forest, no nature, no retreat, no pilgrimage. We are present in God's presence constantly. None of these things and, and no human can bring us into the presence of God. It is only through Christ. And it means full access for the believer before the throne of God, permanent access. It's not that we go in and out, in and out. It's being part of God's family, his forever family fixed. This is where we find ourselves when we trust in Jesus. And we find ourselves as his forever children on the receiving end of his grace, his give, give, giving generosity. The most significant other is smiling at his children, not frowning. He is pleased with us. We have his favor. But there's more in this little introduction. In verse at the end of verse 2, we're told that we can boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification means we have a certain future. It's, this is Romans' way of saying we can be excited about the amazing future God has promised his people. And it's a certain hope. This is to do with assurance that something will happen. It's not... I hope this might happen. If you've been at the wedding and seeing the groom, the groom at the front waiting, hoping 
the bride will come. We saw this recently with David and Laura, and she came. But for a while, David's standing there at the front, hoping. Me too, on my wedding day, hoping. Slightly different hope here. It's not that this might happen for the Christian, it's the promise that this will happen for the Christian. Real assurance about the future. If you've ever sat with someone who was a Christian on their deathbed and you've seen firsthand quiet, real, unwavering confidence in what God has promised them, it is that type of assurance. All these things flow from justification. So justification means quite a lot in the Christian life. And these three things in these opening verses, they're inseparable. We have, we have, we can boast. Connecting these things is key to living the Christian life. What happened with the past, with what's going on in the present and what's true now, and what the future holds. Paul is telling us this because we need to know these things are true this morning. We have a restored relationship with God. These things are true for anyone trusting Jesus. But moving on to our second point, what does it feel like for Christians to live in the present? In the present, we will know suffering, but we also know God's love. So our heading is just, we know God's love. We know God's love. Look down at me with verse three, to verse three. Uh, verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not Put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul has just told us about a great hope, but then he lands this bombshell in verse 3, this surprise. We also glory in our sufferings, he says. He doesn't mean we are to rejoice at cancer or rejoice at death or anything that's evil. Suffering, we're going to find out in Romans, we have to understand it's part of the normal Christian life, part of the normal Christian experience. It was for Jesus, our Lord, and he promised it would be so for his followers. But Paul here wants us to know that uh, 
in between the two fixed facts of justification and glory, this time now will be marked by suffering. If you've seen um, any sort of Indiana Jones film or the like, there's often a bridge that has to be crossed and you know what the bridge looks like. Fixed point, fixed point, shaky, rickety bridge. Paul wants us to know that we are on that bridge now. And we will, we are secure but insecure. In that we will feel insecure, but actually we are secure. We are secure because of the two fixed points. And the bridge ties us to those things. So as we go through life and we face suffering in all its kinds, whether it's sleeplessness, whether it's the loss of loved ones, whether it's illness for ourselves or walking through life with someone who is ill, whether it's the trials of family, he wants us to know what's true and how secure we are. Now, we would expect that these things, when we suffer, would diminish our hope, but Paul is going to tell us we can rejoice, and he wants to help us understand what God is doing in the midst of suffering. Verse 3, he spells it out in verse 3 and verse 4. And here we need to come away from the natural desire to see immediately the point of our suffering, because usually we want. But he wants to help us grasp what God is doing, to see how God uses suffering to increase our hope. So there is a, a cause and effect. Suffering produces both the opportunity and the need, verse 3, for perseverance. It produces the opportunity and the need for perseverance to be those who will keep going, which in turn, verse 4, produces character, which means provenness. It's the character that has stood up under examination of being tested and proved itself as genuine. And finally, that character, when proven, will have a stronger confidence in the future. It leads to strengthened hope. So this is like a muscle. Do you remember those muscles? As they're worked, they strengthen. Suffering, therefore, it becomes important because that's how hope is strengthened, like a muscle it will be stronger because of this. It will not be strengthened without it. And I think we look around and we see this true in life. We see how the world around us even celebrates when people go through trials and they come out and they testify, this made me stronger. But how much more in Christian testimonies People saying how they were grown and helped to grow in their trust, even through a trial. 
But how do we know that our confidence is well-founded? Well, Paul wants us to see God's love in all of this. And that's why the heading in this part is God's love. We can know God's love. It's there in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this describes how someone is converted when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart and convinces them of the love of God and continues to convince them. Something that may be felt by us sometimes or it may not always be felt and that's why verses 6 to 8 are so crucial because in verses 6 to 8 we're pointed to the cross look at verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us What were we like when God sent Jesus? These verses tell us we were ungodly and powerless. Even the greatest human love will not die for the unworthy. And yet God's love is seen as the best. People might die for the best of humanity, but how much more is God's great love? Verse 8 that Christ died for us while we were still willful rebels in his world. So we know God's love by looking to the cross. We know God's love by the Holy Spirit inside us. We need both these things while we are living in this world or while we are walking alongside others who are suffering. You see, if we just have one, the subjective experience without the fact of the cross, then where would we be? We would be at the mercy of our feelings and our emotions going up and down, up and down. Am I loved? Am I loved? Am I not loved? If we just had the cross to look at, we would never sense the feeling or emotion. Faith would merely just be dry and cold. But holding both together for ourselves and with others, when we doubt God's love, when we cannot feel God's love, because of sin or because of suffering, the Holy Spirit points us where? Verse 8. Points us to the cross of Christ. Someone once told me this little illustration. So, so helpful. When someone looks in the mirror and despairs or doubts God's love, instead of looking in the mirror, we look out the window back to the cross. We look out the window to see the cross because what happened there proves God's love for me. As the old hymn says, uh, inscribed upon the cross we see, 
in shining letters, God is love. We know God's love now, even in suffering. The last thing to take in from these verses, we will be saved from wrath. We've got to verse 9. If you've tuned out, tune back in. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our final point, we will be saved from wrath. Paul now restates what he said at the start using the language of reconciliation, restored relationship, peace with God. And he suggests in these verses that since God has already done the hard thing, the work of reconciling his enemies to himself, there is no question that he will do the comparatively easy thing at the end of saving us now that we are his friends. The illustration that came to mind to go with this is roadside recovery. And the picture of the family heading off on a holiday but the car has broken down on the motorway and they are sat at the side going nowhere, stuck. But they are members of the fourth rescue service. And as members, they know they will be saved. They will be rescued. That is the logic here. If we are those who have justified, we can be confident of being saved. If we've been declared righteous by Jesus' death, then how much more certain is it that we will be saved from God's judgment? If God's wrath against us has been turned away by Jesus taking our place, then we will not have to face it ourselves. If God can bring us into relationship with himself when we as unbelievers have such a terrible CV, how much more will he save us completely and bring us to final glory? This is certain for the Christian. We will be saved from wrath. Imagine, if you will, walking into the biggest exam of your life. I hate exams. But imagine walking into the biggest exam of your life knowing that you've already passed it that you've nailed it 100% because someone else took the test. Look at verse 11. We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our confidence now is because of Jesus. 
only because of him. That is a confidence that anyone can have, but you can only have it through faith in Jesus. We know now what God thinks of his children. So what are we to do? Well, verse 11 in a word says, boast. Boast in God who has done all of this. It could be translated rejoice. Wrong boasting divides a church. We might not boast out loud, but internally we might judge others and raise ourselves up and boast in who we are and what we think we can contribute. Wrong boasting here at St. John's would just lead to division. But Paul is exhorting us to boast in what God has done. And that boasting only unites a church. How can we be boasting here at St. John's of what God has done? It's continue to sing of these truths. It's to talk of these things whenever we meet in our groups, one-to-one, on Sundays, at coffee time, to celebrate them together, what God has done. Let's ask for his help to do that now. Let me pray. Father, please, would you help us to see the amazing things that are true because of Christ for anyone who is trusting in him. And please, would you help us to boast and to rejoice this morning because this changes everything. To know what you think of us. Here is security in life. Help whatever is going on, whatever we face. Help us to rejoice and give glory to you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.